We're working our way through Exodus, and the title of today's message is Obstinance or Obedience. We're still looking at Moses and Pharaoh uh, and, and the contrast between the two of them. And the theme for today, if you don't get anything else out of this, is there is no one like our God in all the earth. And I know we pray a lot around here, but that is why we're here, to talk to our Heavenly Father and have Him talk to us. So I'm going to turn one more time to our Father as we, uh, before we go into the Scriptures. Father, just thank you for giving us another beautiful day to worship you. We're grateful for our life, our health, our families, our friends, our church, our possessions. All are a gift from you. Thank you. We do not take any of this for granted. And as we just considered our brothers and sisters around the world whose lives are in jeopardy because of persecution, their health is poor, families torn apart, friends are, being betray- are betraying them, churches are underground, possessions are few, we're sobered by their example and testimony. And though life for them is extremely difficult, yet their faith in Jesus never wanes. And we know this to be true because, as was said, your church is growing in some of the most difficult places, and you are at work through them. And so, Father, we pray, please sustain them, uh, sustain those who are persecuted for Jesus' sake. Give them endurance in the trials and and just heal them and be with them. Uh, God, I pray the same for our church. Father, for KMCC. Holy Spirit, please continue to strengthen our faith. Unite our hearts in love Enable us to forgive those who offend us. Embold us to speak your word and empower us to love one another and to love even our enemies as well. May the name of Jesus be spoken from our lips and be heard and believed upon by many, many people. May a watching world look at us and know that there is no one like Jesus in all the earth. And now as we turn to your word, I ask that uh, we would be amazed at the splendor of your majesty and that we would come away convinced that there is no one like you, O God. And I pray this in the blessed and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. So we're tackling a big chunk of text uh, today, uh, but I believe this whole section is pointing to one thing, and and that one thing is our theme today, that there's no one like our God on all the earth. And I want to start out by giving you a little bit of literary uh, context. This is just some background information that will be helpful, insightful, and bring some clarity to the main point that the author is trying to make. Um, There are ten destructive miracles, or plagues as people have called them, Uh, the final miraculous sign or miracle being the death of the Egyptian firstborn children. We're going to get to that next week. Uh, The death of the firstborn is set all by itself, and there is a whole section in Scripture dedicated to it. It's full of meaning, and so like I said, we'll get to it next week. But the first nine destructive miracles are split into three sets of three. And the intensity of the devastation gets worse and worse as these signs and wonders are performed by God. And the final set of three ends with three days of darkness, like an ominous omen to the angel of death that's going to follow. And by this time, Egypt has pretty much been decimated because of the clash of wills between Pharaoh and his gods and Moses and the Lord God. And Pharaoh was not winning, (laughs) but he was also not giving in. And he was, unfortunately, never willing to say uncle, so to speak, right? Interestingly enough, the first uh, devastating miracle in each set of three, uh, the first being in chapter 7, verse 15, and the the fourth miracle being in chapter 8, verse 20, and then the seventh miracle in chapter 9, verse 13, Moses is instructed to rise early in the morning, go to Pharaoh with a lengthy description of what happens uh, after that. And it made me think of the verse, his mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, right? And it, it is kind of like God was saying to Pharaoh, hey, bud, it's a new day. 
You just barely survived the devastating uh, miracles at my hand for the past three, and, and you want to end it now, right? You want to you enjoy my mercies? My mercies are new every morning. But Pharaoh never took advantage of God's gracious kindness extended to him. In the second devastating miracle in each set of three, Moses was instructed to simply go to Pharaoh uh, with no time frame given. Just go talk to him, right? And so Moses would go any time during the day, and he would just talk to Pharaoh and tell him what was going to happen. And then in the third miracle in each set of three, God instructs Moses on what to do, but Moses initiated the miracle before going into Pharaoh. So he didn't even see Pharaoh. He just enacts this miracle. And, and so the result was that Pharaoh was not prepared for the devastation that was to befall. And it just came out of nowhere as a surprise to him. And so God was graciously trying different methods, different time frames, different tactics in order to get Pharaoh's attention. But Pharaoh remained obstinate, as we'll see. Another important thing to remember is this, that Moses wrote Exodus, right? And, and he wrote it for the children of Israel who were about to enter the promised land. And his purpose in writing this entire book was to explain how they were redeemed for relationship with Yahweh. And so the whole book was written to describe in story form the character and the nature of the Lord God to people who did not know him, to remind them of their covenant relationship with the Lord, to preserve their history as a people of the Lord, and to describe how they should respond to the Lord. And they needed to know these things because there is no one like our Lord in all the earth. And they need to know these things. And what Moses is trying to convey to us in the book of Exodus is this, Yahweh the undisputed, authoritative, life-giving power of the universe redeemed us for relationship with Him. With Him. And that relationship with Him is entered by grace through faith for the purpose of obediently following Him. And as we follow Him, our lives display His glory, His salvation, and His preeminent holiness to all the world. And we just saw last week that as Moses was obedient to the Lord... God's pattern was used to display his power and his authority over all creation and over all people to every nation around the world, not just back then, but then down through the centuries as people read this thing over and over again and, 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 are, and are struck by God's miraculous deliverance. Even us today are reading it. So let's look at how the pattern played out in the final six miracles that, I, that God performed on the Egyptians, all right? So we're going to go through these really quickly. The Lord demonstrated his power and majesty through the flies. Verse eight, chapter 8, verse 20. You can follow along with me if you want. Chapter 8, verse 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me, or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, and your people, and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians will be filled with swarms of flies, and also the ground in which they stand. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in all the earth. So again, verse 20, the Lord commands Moses what to do. And this was the pattern we established last week. So he tells him what to do. And then Moses does it, and we'll see that in a second. But notice verse 22. This is the first time that there's a distinction made between Israel and Egypt. God began to uh, withhold these devastating miracles, these acts of pestilence from harming Israel. God's hand was only stretched out over Egypt from here on out for the rest of the miracles. So there were no flies in Israel, and none of the other miracles negatively affected Israel from this point on. But notice, why did God make this distinction? Why did God do this? 
Verse 22 is really important. So that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. In other words, Pharaoh, you may think you are something, that you can control everything and everyone around you, but let me tell you something. I'm going to demonstrate my power to you, and you will know that I exist, and you won't be able to deny me. You may continue to ignore me, but you won't be able to deny my existence or my preeminence over you. I love it, right? Go God. I want to be on God's team. I have no idea why Pharaoh would want to be against him, right? It's ludicrous. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 23, thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign will happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses throughout all the land of Egypt. The land was ruined by the swarms of flies. So Pharaoh was faced, let's keep reading. Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron and says, go sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, it would not be right to do so, for the offerings we will sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God, as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead to the Lord that the swarm of flies may depart from Pharaoh from his servants and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from the Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. So Pharaoh's faced with the annoyance of God's power, and he didn't like this particular pestilence in his home. So he told Moses and Aaron that they could go sacrifice to God. But he only gave them permission to do it in Goshen, where they lived. And Moses argued that it was against the Egyptian culture for them to worship Yahweh the way that Yahweh desired. And so he again asserted that they must be allowed to go into the wilderness. And Pharaoh answered with this weak answer, I'll let you go, but you can't go very far. You just you go over there where I can still see you, right? basically is what he's saying. And he asked Moses then to plead for him to God, right? And Moses graciously agreed. He warned Pharaoh not to go back out of his promise again. He prayed to God. God answered him by removing the flies. And the outcome? Pharaoh hardened his heart, this time also. And he did not let the people go. So God's pattern played out again. Part of the pattern is that Pharaoh is not going to let the people go. All right, we get to the plague. Chapter 9, verse 1. So then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very great or a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel will die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. And the livestock of Egypt died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. So this plague comes upon the livestock of Egypt. The Lord commands Moses what to do. Again, the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And notice that none of the Israelite animals died. And God set the timetable, and God did exactly what he said at the time he said it would be done. 
But look what happens. Pharaoh sent, behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. So again, the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and the pattern plays out again. All right, the boils. Chapter 9, verse 8, Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall be fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in the sores of man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So the last of these second group of devastating miracles was aimed at the health of the Egyptian population. And so the Lord commands Moses and Aaron what to do and what to say, right? Verse 10, So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils breaking out and sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the uh, Egyptians. So they obeyed the voice of the Lord, verse 10. God does the miracle, and throughout the whole land, people are breaking out in boils. How many of you have had boils? couple. I had a boil. I had one. It was enough, right? It was on my foot. Extremely painful. It also weakened my immune system, brought out a bout of malaria and then chest inflammation. It was horrible. What these were going, every person in Egypt was covered in boils. Horrific. And in Egypt, everyone, magicians too, they were covered in boils. They couldn't protect themselves against what God uh, put upon them. And so they were not immune to the power of Almighty God. And true to the pattern, what happens? The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart just as he had spoken to Moses. Pattern plays out again. All right, now we get to the hail, verse 13. So then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning. There's that first one of the last three group, right? Rise up early in the morning, present yourself to Pharaoh, and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all you have in the field into safe shelter, for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. So a signal that we're heading into another set of uh, three acts of pestilence is, is this phrase, in the morning. And what God says here is interesting. He's trying to persuade Pharaoh to change his mind, to repent, to, to submit to Yahweh, to believe that he is the Lord and to let the people go. And God requested that Pharaoh let the people go, and if he didn't, this time he was going to send his plagues, the rest of his plagues, at Pharaoh's heart. It's another way of translating on yourself in verse 14. He was going to aim it right at Pharaoh's heart. Meaning from here on out, it was going to get more personal. All the following disasters were going to personally affect Pharaoh and be directed at his hard heart. And why was God doing this? Why was he going to get so personal? So that, verse 14, you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. 
God was saying, I am not a local deity. I am not confined to one people group. I am not represented by one element in nature. I am Yahweh, and there, was, and there is no one like me in all the earth. In fact, O Pharaoh, he says in verse 15 and 17 in a way, you stuck-up arrogant man, by now I could have put my hand out and struck you dead. You'd be six feet under by now if I wanted you to be, but I haven't put out my hand and struck you down. And why have I not struck you down, you ask? And it's for this purpose, verse 16, I have raised you up, Pharaoh, to show you my power and so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Pharaoh, this is a, a, about a whole lot more than getting my people out of Egypt. It's about that, but it's about showing the greatness of my power to you and to all Egypt and to all the world and proclaiming my name, Yahweh, the I Am, the self-existent, almighty one to the entire world. Pharaoh, this is about me displaying my power and my glory and my majesty, all which far exceeds yours. And yet, verse 17, you are still exalting yourself against me. You won't let my people go. You're still pushing against me. Pharaoh, bad move. Because, verse 18 and 19, I will be victorious. My name will be exalted above yours. You will not win. In fact, tomorrow I will cause such a heavy hail to fall on Egypt that anyone or anything caught out in it will die. You have never seen hail like this. You never will see anything like it in the future. I have storehouses piled high just for moments like this. And I'm letting it all loose upon you so that you know who is God and who is not. And I am God and you are not, is what God is saying. And so the Lord commanded Moses, verse 22, to stretch out his hand so that the hail would fall. Verse 23, what happens here? Well, let's look at verse 20. Then the servants of Pharaoh hurried, uh, sorry, then whoever feared the, Lord, the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and livestock in the field. And then the Lord said to Moses, verse 22, stretch out your hand over uh, toward the heaven and so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt and and Moses obeyed. So God commands, Moses obeys. So Moses, verse 23, stretched out his staff toward the heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire ran down to the earth, and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. And there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck down everything that was in the field, and in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree in the field. Only the land of Goshen where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. <laughs> then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is, is in the right, and I, am in, and, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of this city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not fear the Lord. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear, and the flax is in the bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they were late in coming up. I'll tell you why that's in there in a second. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hand to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when the Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart and his servants, 
So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. So Moses is obedient. He stretches out his staff, and the Lord brought devastating miracle down upon Egypt again. Hail, flashing lightning, and thunder, and strikes down everything in its path. No hail in Goshen, right? Like, wow, God. <laughs> Amazing. And how did Pharaoh respond? At, at a glance, verse 27 and 28, it seems like a genuine, heartfelt response. Pharaoh said all the right things while God's judgment was raining down upon him. He had the right words, right? I've sinned and, you know, God is in the right and we're in the wrong. His prayer seems legit, but did he mean it? Had he really repented? Had he really believed? Verse 29 to 33, Moses didn't think so, right? And why? Because Pharaoh was simply watching his food supply get quickly destroyed, right? Pharaoh wanted to fix this problem quick. He saw all that. That's why it's talking about the wheat and all that stuff being, being brought down. And, and so he wants to fix this problem. And so he says the right words. And Moses, though he doesn't believe him, graciously asked God to stop the hail, even though Pharaoh didn't yet fear the Lord. Verse 29, again, gives us the heart of this whole passage, the heart of these ten distinctive miracles that God was pouring out on Egypt. It's the heart of the message that Moses and Aaron were delivering to the people and to the Egyptians and to the entire world, every nation and tribe and tongue and people that would read this story in the centuries that would follow. The heart of this passage is that there is no one like our God in all the earth. And God proved it over and over again as he rained down destructive judgment upon Egypt and at the same time he graciously provided salvation for his own people in Goshen. And in the sending of the hailstorm and in the ending of the hailstorm, all was for the purpose of revealing God to the people. And when Moses had the Lord stop the hail, look at the reason, 29, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. The Lord owns everything and determines everything. Pharaoh, you are not the Lord of this universe. Yahweh is. Pharaoh, get it through your thick skull. Yahweh is going to win because he is the undisputed power of the universe. But how did Pharaoh respond? Verse 34, God's pattern plays out. Pharaoh sinned yet again, and he hardened his heart, both he and his servants, and he did not let the people go, just as the Lord had said. Now we come to the locust. Chapter 10, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, so that you may know that I am the Lord. You hear the theme? <laughs> that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country and they will cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land and they will eat what is left to you after the hail and they will eat every tree of yours that grows in the field and they will fill your houses and the houses of your servants and of all the Egyptians as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day and then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh told his servant. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go, serve the Lord your God, but which ones are to go? Moses said, We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and our daughters and with our flocks and our herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. 
But he, Pharaoh, said to them, The Lord be with you if ever I let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No. Go, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you are asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. And then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the field, all all that the hail has left. And so Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts, and the locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts has never been before, nor ever will be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant in the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, Hey, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God, only remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. So God performs another devastating miracle in the land, locusts. The Lord gave Moses the reason that they were doing all this, a reminder not to drift or doubt or despair, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 10. And why was God doing all these miraculous signs? That you may know that I am the Lord. And I hope you're picking up on this theme of this passage. There's no one like our God on all the earth, and God wants all people to know that. Why does God want us to know that? Because it's for our good. The Lord is our salvation, and it's for his glory. And God commanded Moses and Aaron to go into Pharaoh and to speak to him, and so they did exactly what the Lord commanded. They told Pharaoh that locusts were on their way, and look at what the servants of Pharaoh said. They're like, hey, please let them go. Don't you know that our land is ruined? And Pharaoh's obstinance was ruining the lives and livelihood of his entire nation. And Pharaoh considered the pleas of his servants, and he calls Moses back, and he's Basically, he, had, he says they can go, and he says, how many? And Moses says that famous line, right? All of us are going. It's all or nothing. And Pharaoh's like, no, your men can go, but no one else. And in anger, he drives Moses and Aaron out of his presence. In response, the Lord told Moses what to do. Verse 12, Moses did exactly what God told him to do. Verse 13, and God performed the miracle. Verses 13 to 15, and locusts were everywhere. I don't know if you've ever watched documentary on locusts, have you? I have. Some, some movies have those locust things in there. But a swarm comes through. It, 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 it overshadows everything. The sky is darkened. Everything that's green in their path is completely wiped out. It's devastating. All the plants are stripped to the bone. And so Egypt lost not only their meat supply, their food supply, all the people are sick with boils, and now they lost the rest of their vegetation, including shade plants, decorative thing. Nothing was left for them in their land. And so what were they going to do? And so Pharaoh's concerned again, afraid for his life. How does he respond? He quickly summons Moses and Aaron back again. He says, I've sinned against the Lord your God. Plead with him to remove this death from me. Interesting, Pharaoh was not concerned with his people so much, just with himself. Remove this death from me. But but he says the right words again, I've sinned, but, but is he still repentant? All Pharaoh was doing was trying to get out of the consequences. Pharaoh did not fear the Lord. He feared the devastation. 
But God, another undeserved, gracious act of kindness, removes a locust, not a single one left in the whole country. But look at verse 20. Again, God's pattern continues to be followed. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people go. Now we get to the final plague for today, darkness. Verse 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses obeys. Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Pharaoh said, or but Moses said, You must also let us sacri- have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He would not let them go. And Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day that you see my face, you will die. And Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. So the ninth plague is described like a calm before the storm. Again, Moses, or God commanded Moses what to do. Moses obediently did what God commanded. God performs the miracle. In ancient Egypt, Ra was known as the sun god, the creator and giver and sustainer of life. Ra was the one, one of the most popular deities in all of Egypt, right along with the god of the Nile. God had already directed the first devastating miracle on the Nile, and now this one was upon Ra as darkness. It was dark for three days. The number three was significant, a number signifying completion. Three days of darkness could not be contributed to a solar eclipse, to a sandstorm, any other natural phenomenon. It had to be supernatural. And this was an act of God. It was a darkness that could be felt. Now that's dark. Another confirmation that this was an act of God is that the pitch blackness, no one saw anyone, so no one moved, meaning that even candlelight somehow was extinguished in Egypt. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. That's an incredible verse. The Egyptians couldn't see anything, but right across the way, the Israelites could see everything. I wish I could have seen that divide, right? And this reminds me of John 1, 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Yahweh in the person of Jesus is the source of light and life. Well, at the tail end of this horrible darkness, Pharaoh calls Moses in, tells him to go worship with his young and his old, but he told him he could not take the flocks and herds, and Pharaoh tries again to bargain with God. It doesn't work. And so the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He would not let them go. And the end of the nine destructive miracles, this is the end of the ninth plague on Egypt. And at this point, I just want to stop and briefly consider Pharaoh before we move on. There's a progression that happens to Pharaoh's heart throughout these acts of pestilence. After the water was turned to blood, Pharaoh's heart remained hard, it says. After the frog, Pharaoh hardened his heart. After the gnats, Pharaoh's heart was hardened again because of his obstinance. After the flies, it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart again. After the plague on the livestock, Pharaoh's heart was hardened again by his obstinance. After the boils, it says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Interesting. Six acts of pestilence in, and now the Lord begins to act upon Pharaoh's heart. After the destructive hailstorm, it says that Pharaoh sinned and hardened his heart again. And by now, Pharaoh's getting more and more cynical and vindictive and stubborn and evil. 
After the locusts, it says the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart again. And after the darkness, it says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart again. So the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart three times. But the rest of the times, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. What are we to make of God hardening Pharaoh's heart? Apostle Paul talks about this in the book of Romans chapter 9. Paul's explanation is an interesting one. Here's what he says. Paul says this in Romans 9. He says, What shall we say then? Is there injustice in God? Absolutely not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, Paul continues, it does not depend on human desire or exertion, but on God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may demonstrate my power to you, and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So, so Paul is citing this passage right here. And Paul continues, he says, So then God has mercy on whom he chooses to have mercy, and he hardens whom he chooses to harden. Now Paul continues with the logical question that we all ask, right? You will say to me then, why does God still find fault? For who has ever resisted his will, right? But Paul continues, but who indeed are you, a mere human being, to talk back to God? Does what is molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right to make from the same lump of clay a vessel for special use and another for ordinary use? But what if God, willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience the objects of wrath prepared for destruction? So in Pharaoh's case, the beginning of the destructive miracles, his heart was already hard by itself from the beginning. Pharaoh had made that decision all on his own. And as time went on, Pharaoh continued to resist God and to harden his own heart with each successive choice. And his heart, hard heart eventually became part of his character. That became part of who he was. And God allowed his hard heart to stay that way. God solidified Pharaoh's already hard heart. And then God took the opportunity that Pharaoh's hard heart presented to display his power and to proclaim his name in all the earth. And the question that Paul poses then is this, is it just of God to do that? And the answer that Paul gives may leave some of us unsatisfied or maybe a little bit agitated. His answer is, who are you to question God? Or who are you, O mortal human being, whom God himself created and made, gave life and breath to, and upon whom you depend for everything who are you to call God unjust? Isn't that a bit presumptuous? So there are some things in life that we just don't have the right to do. And one of those things is to judge the integrity and justice and decisions of Almighty God because that is exactly what Pharaoh was doing. His heart was hard because he didn't agree with God. He didn't want to do what God wanted to do. He thought he knew better than God. And Pharaoh judged God, saying God was wrong. And yet God patiently put up with Pharaoh, giving him opportunity after opportunity to, be, to change his mind, believe that he was God. But because he didn't, God decided to use Pharaoh's obstinance to make known the riches of his glory and majesty of his salvation to the people who would believe. To all of us. And this passage demonstrates that hardness of heart towards the Lord leads to darkness and death. Pharaoh's hardness of heart resulted in death and darkness and destruction. And God wanted Pharaoh to repent and believe that he is God by letting the people go. Yahweh is not to be negotiated with. It's his way or the highway. And God determined that Jesus is the way out of darkness and death and destruction. Jesus. He's the only way to get life and light. And God wants all to repent and place their faith in Jesus. And this is non-negotiable. It's God's way or the highway. 
And that way is none other than faith in Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And this all comes back to the main point. There is no one like our God in all the earth. He is a God of power and grace and extreme patience. And this is what God has been trying to teach Pharaoh all along and what God wanted to reveal to the Israelites and to the Egyptians and to the whole world, us included, all the way down here to KMCC. Chapter 8, verse 10, that there is no one like the Lord our God. That he is the Lord in the midst of the earth, chapter 8, verse 22. That there is no one like the Lord in all the earth, chapter 9, verse 14. That his name should be proclaimed in all the earth, chapter 9, verse 16. That the earth is the Lord's, chapter 9, verse 29. And that he is the Lord, chapter 10, verse 2. He alone is salvation. He alone is the God of power and grace and patience. So worship him. God's power. He is not restricted to a certain geographical place or to a particular people group. He is the one and only power of the entire earth, and he alone is the source of light and life. Only in him is redemption and and resurrection. There is salvation in no other name, only Jesus. And God's grace. God's grace is seen in the fact that though Pharaoh was absent, God could have just obliterated him and strike one or strike two or strike three, but he didn't. He kept on giving him opportunity after opportunity. He kept on gracing Pharaoh and everyone else super abundantly. And the riches of God's grace are boundless, which leads to the last observation, God's patience. He's so long-suffering and patient, during that, uh, desiring that none should perish but that all should come to repentance and a knowledge of the truth. God is lovingly patient even with his enemies like Pharaoh. But oh, how wonderful it is that God is patiently loving, for if he wasn't, none of us would be saved. We'd all be destroyed in our obstinance and rebellion, but praise God and worship him for his infinite grace, freely given to us in the person of Jesus Christ. There most certainly is no one like the Lord our God who offers salvation and eternal life through his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Receive it. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and that it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. When we are faced with a passage like this, we come today grateful for who you are. We praise you and we worship you. And I pray that every heart in here just wants to be on your side. And we do that through faith in Jesus. Thank you for sending Jesus so that we could be one with you. What a privilege. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.